0: The price of being a, you know, a graceful master is being an awkward beginner, right? Like you, you got to try if, if, you, if you're scared of failing, you're never going to accomplish anything. You, you're going to you, you're just going to sit in your in your safety bubble there, um, never kind of exploring outside of it. So, you know, try new things, uh, get out there, experience life. And, uh, you know, if you fail, you're back, you're back in the same place you were when you started.
1: My guest today is Evan Ultra OCR Man Preparis, who is an active duty army special forces soldier who has 44 months of combat deployments, who is now a professional obstacle course racing, or as I'll refer to at the rest of the show, an OCR athlete. He is best known for running insane, multi-day, self-created OCR endurance challenges to raise money for charity and also push himself beyond his physical and mental limits. If you want to know what it really takes to overcome obstacles, or frankly, hundreds of them in a row, whether it's out on a legit race course or just the everyday obstacles that you encounter in life, Evan has the answers. What's really interesting is that Evan hasn't always been the overachiever and the ultra extreme athlete that he is now. In fact, he describes himself as a clone of the main character in the Goldbergs of all shows, the stereotypical nerdy teen who was in high school musicals and was not at all athletic. But when Evan joined the military, he knew that he had to get himself in shape, and that became the first of many more obstacles to conquer and defeat in his life. So it just goes to show that you can't judge a book by its cover, especially somebody who could rip that book in half with his bare hands. Evan's simple, no-nonsense approach to extreme OCR racing very simply translates to practical mindsets that you too can apply to any obstacle that you encounter in your life. And if there's one thing that life is throwing at us incessantly right now, it is lots of obstacles. Whether it's simply getting into better physical shape so you have more mental and creative energy to kick ass at your job, or you're actually training for your very first Spartan race or Tough Mudder, the advice that Evan shares in our conversation today is invaluable to anybody that is trying to level up their fitness goals, their career, or even their entire life. All right, without further ado, my conversation with Special Armed Forces soldier and OCR athlete, Evan Preparis. To access the show notes for this episode with all the bonus links and resources discussed today, as well as to subscribe, leave a review and more, simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash episode (laughs) 183. I'm here today with Evan Ultra OCR Man Preparis, who is an active duty Army Special Forces soldier with 44 months of combat deployments. You are also a professional obstacle course racing athlete, or as we're gonna refer to it today, OCR. You are a mainstay of the OCR industry. You've got over 70 podiums. You've written 350 plus articles, seven books, and you're also best known for self-creating multi-day endurance OCR challenges to raise money for charity. Just one very small example includes running on a treadmill for 24 hours, and that's one of the less crazy ones. And lastly, as we will discuss a little bit uh, later on, you and I are also fellow two-time American Ninja Warriors, and we're going to talk more about that, specifically the journeys that include a lot of failure along the way. So on that note, Evan, such a pleasure to have you on the microphone today. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Zach. Looking forward right, to it. So I've, I've talked to a multitude of people over the years that do extreme crazy things, whether it's, I'm going to run on a treadmill for 24 hours, or I'm going to decide, you know what, just for the heck of it, what if I did 200 miles over eight days and force myself to do hundreds of obstacles, not because it's a competition, I'm not going to win any emails, it's just me and buddies and cameras. And it always comes down to the same question that most people, if not everybody has. Why? Yeah. <laughs> Why would you ever put yourself through all of these things? So let's just start right with the deepest question. Why do you do all of these things? You know, it's, it's a multifaceted answer.
0: So for endurance sports is largely a selfish endeavor, right? So I'm, I'm going out and training and spending a lot of time on roads, on trails and stuff like that, which means I'm not spending time with my family. So uh, one of the ways I try to give back is through charity work and then specifically by creating these challenges that are are very hard. And I like finding where that personal limit is because I really feel like you grow when you really get far outside of your comfort zone, whether it's something short like a 5K or something, you know, I've just been doing endurance sports for 20 plus years at this point. And it, you know, you can suddenly be like, well, what if I ran this far and it feels this good? Maybe if I ran a little bit farther, it would feel a little bit better and a little bit better. And so like you look at me now and kind of the where I am, and it's been a it's been a long process. Like I didn't start out like let's run a hundred miles. This is a good idea. I started out like I'm going to run the Army ten miler, and that is crazy. Like that is absolutely insane. No one runs ten miles, and now I run ten miles on like a Tuesday, and it's, I don't post about it because it's irrelevant because I do it all the time. One pr- finding personal limits is just kind of something I enjoy. I feel like you learn a lot about yourself in those really dark moments, and then two uh, again with the, it being a selfish kind of endeavor, I like to find a way to give back.
1: Yeah, well, I've certainly found myself in the, the personal development quest that it can be very, very addicting very quickly, usually in the best ways possible, not always. But in general, it's very addicting when you start to realize and discover, wait a second, I can do a lot more than I thought I could. And it's not a matter of, hey, I thought that I was just lazy and out of shape and I had a dad bod and I just ran a 5K. Great. It's not that. You don't end there. You're like, I wonder if I could run a 10K. I wonder if I could run a half marathon, exactly. right? It just, it kind of keeps stacking up, which is both the good side and the dark side of it. Cause I know that for a lot of people, personal development can just become another addiction where it's like, well, now I've done this. Now I must accomplish that. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, like you said, that one of the things that all of this takes you away from is your family. So how do you balance the good and the bad of putting in so many hours in endurance sports, Knowing it helps you become a better person, but it also takes you away from the most important people in your life. So I try to take my family on pretty much every race
0: weekend. So a lot of times we'll go, we'll spend the weekend. I'll run the race in the morning, or maybe it's a several-hour race. We'll spend all day, and then you know in the afternoon we'll go to a museum and we'll go to the zoo, stuff like that. Uh, there's usually a kids course on a lot of these venues. So my daughter is now seven, and my son's three. So, my daughter is usually old enough to get onto the kids' course. So, she gets to run on her own. And sometimes we kind of like carry my son along off to the side, too. So, you get some family bonding time, both in the car, at the venue, and then most importantly, after. So, those are my favorite parts of the weekends, actually. It's like you get that feeling of accomplishment and then I get to spend the rest of the weekend with my family uh, doing fun things, eating at different restaurants and stuff like that.
1: Now, one thing that I can give you a little bit of heads up on is that uh, when my kids were three and six and years are three and seven, same thing. They love doing the little Spartan juniors or the Tough Mudder juniors. Now they're 10 and 12. Oh, I don't want to go and get muddy and wet and whatever. And it's, it's a much bigger challenge. It's actually a lot harder than the race, just getting them to, to show up and cheer you on. And they're like, you know, I don't want to do that stuff anymore. So, um, you know, Hopefully that's not going to be in your future, but I know that that's something that, uh, that I have dealt with more than once uh, in the past. Um, I want to go back a little bit more to the origin story, because I know that not only are you a guy that just woke up one day and said, yeah, I want to do all this OCR stuff and run lots of miles and obstacles, but you come from the world of the military, and I would assume that that has a lot of influence on a lot of the mindset and the decision to spend your hours and days and weeks doing all these things that are really challenging for a good purpose. So walk me back to originally going into the military and kind of what the circumstances were there and what the journey was that brought you to eventually becoming who Evan is now. Yeah.
0: So if we go way back, back in like high school, I was best known for drama productions and musicals. So not the athlete. Uh, I I wouldn't have
1: guessed that.
0: (laughs) I did run, I was in in a lot of musicals, a lot of of drama productions. Yeah. Uh, I think I was voted, um, most likely to get abducted by a UFO and most unique in my superlatives when I was a senior. So I was a weird kid. I used to carry it around a lunchbox. If you've ever seen the TV show, The Goldbergs on ABC, I'm like a clone of the main character, Adam. It's like scary. Um, but I was in Boy Scouts also at the time. And a lot of the older boys went into the military. So that's the kind of the route I pursued. I uh, went to Johns Hopkins uh, University in Baltimore and, uh, and a program called ROTC, essentially, it's just normal college, except one of my classes a week is Army. And then I, the group I fell into there was very, like, motivated to do combat arms type stuff. So they were like, oh, if you're going to go into the military, why are you going to be a medical profession? And, you know, the Army has jobs for literally everything. Uh, but the group I fell into just happened to be like, you know, if you're going to go into the Army, do something that you can't do in the civilian world. So that led me to kind of lean towards infantry, I ended up not going infantry, I ended up going field artillery, but I ended up going, you know, trying to pursue a career in special forces. And in order to get good at special forces, um, you need to be physically fit. And I figured if I could do the hardest challenges that were offered to civilians, then I should be, have a higher chance of success when I try out for special forces. So that's really how it started. I was trying to get ready for military schools and it just turned into this like slippery slope, like we were talking about at the beginning, you know, where it's like, well, if I can do this, what about this? What about this? And you just kind of slide down there. And before I know it, um, I ended up passing selection and getting into special forces. And then, uh, you know, now my, as my military career kind of tapers off, I've got two years left before I can retire, the endurance career has taken off. And that's kind of almost more my priority. And, you know, when we talk about mindset, specifically related from military into endurance racing, you know, if you're, if you're going out in combat in Iraq or, you know, and someone starts a firefight, you can't be like, well, you know. I'm just not feeling it today. Why don't we come back and do the firefight again tomorrow? Like, let's just, let's just call a timeout. Right. So that mindset, which I got instilled in me from uh, special forces and from my, my peers in the military, I just basically take it over to racing. Right. So there are days when I show up to a race and it's like, you know what, I do not feel well, or, you know, today's not my day. And it's like, well, I have three options. I can speed up, I can slow down, or I can maintain the same pace. Either way, I'm out here until the either the distance or the time is over because some of our races are time based or not distance based, you know, and I've, um, I was going to a six hour race in uh, little rock once threw up in the car on the way down, threw up a car again in the car on the way down, slept for 12 hours. Um, I was like having cold sweats all night and I woke up the next morning for a six hour race. My wife's like, you're, you're not running, are you? And I was like, we'll find out when we get to the start line. <laughs> and I did, I, I ran it. Like, I felt terrible the first lap and then it like cleared out of my system and I, I won the, won the race. And, uh, yeah, but like, you know, you can always find a good excuse to not to to quit or find an excuse not to do something. You know, it's really hard to find an excuse to continue to persevere.
1: Now, I know that what uh, can be a very common story for people that come from the military, and you're still active duty in the military, and like you said, tapering off to retiring. Um, but specifically, I've heard many stories about people that were in the military for a short period of time, and their uh, their duty is over and they're discharged and all of a sudden they have civilian life and it's just like living in a foreign world. And a lot of them end up taking up these extreme types of challenges and events because it almost feels like something is missing from their former life. And even though you're kind of still, you have, you know, a toe in both pools, so to speak, do you find that some of the reason you gravitate towards a lot of these races is just because that's kind of become a part of who you
0: are? Yeah, a hundred percent. So as, you know, as the longer in the military, the, the, Farther away from the front lines you get, so you end up sitting behind a desk. So I mostly sit behind a desk. I got a lot of cool pictures from the last like fifteen or so years, where like I'm doing all this cool stuff. Like almost none of those are current. You know, I, I sit behind a desk and send emails to people most of the day. So yeah, as as my career kind of tapered off and they started putting me more behind a desk, you know, that part of me was definitely missing. Right, like I miss being pushed to the limits. I miss those challenges. I miss that feeling of accomplishment. And uh, you you miss some of that camaraderie, right? So the the bonds you develop with the guys from deployment are super tight, right? Like I still text some of those guys, um, and you know that it definitely filled filled a piece that was missing from kind of my my career tapering off,
1: yeah. Yeah, and for me personally, that was one of the most important, if not the most important thing that I've gotten out of obstacle course racing. I don't have the background that you do. I didn't come from the military. Um, I was kind of sort of quasi-athletic in high school and college, but nothing to really speak of. And then entered the professional world and basically sat behind a desk for 16 hours a day and worked long hours. So there's there's nothing driving me to do this thing um, until basically my sister said, hey, we should do this crazy thing called the Tough Mudder. I'm like, okay, whatever. And it put the fear of God me enough to do P90X and get myself in shape. So I thought, all right, I'm going to try this thing once and I'm going to prove that I'm tougher than my sister because we're very competitive. That's all it was about. I just need to not embarrass myself in front of my sister who's 15 years older than me and has run marathons. I'm like, oh, no, I, got, I, I can't say no. That's all it was about. And then as soon as I ran my first Tough Mudder, it was just a complete game changer because I am by you know, self-diagnosis an extreme introvert. I could spend the entire life in the mountains by myself and I'd be fine if I didn't have a family. It's different when you got a family, Um, but I'd be fine being, you know, living the monastic life. So I had a lot of social anxiety. And as soon as I was at the Tough Mudder, it wasn't just a matter of you can kind of slowly sidle up to people. It's like, here's this complete stranger that's touching my ass, that's pushing me over a wall. And then I'm doing the same thing for them. And it's just like the most intimate experience, but you all have the same common goal. So that to me, that camaraderie was so important, and I would assume that it's very, very similar on a lesser scale to what you experience in the military. Yeah, no,
0: absolutely. And uh, Tough Mudder is a great brand for kind of like bringing people in. Um, like you were saying, there's there's literally people all shapes and sizes there, and you know they have they they've expanded their lineup of events. They have five k, ten k, fifteen k. They have twelve hour and twenty four hour, which I know sounds absolutely crazy to a lot of listeners but you would be surprised at the people that are out there for the 12 and 24 hour. And some of them will run, they'll run five miles, they'll go sit down for a couple hours, run five miles, go sit down for a couple hours, but they still go out there and they like find their personal limits. Whether you run 90 miles at the event, like I do for the 24, or you run, you know, 20 miles or 25 miles, if like you found a personal limit, it, you 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 share that common experience of kind of suffering um regardless of the vast differences in physical capability so it's really really a great community and you'll see people out on the course helping people at those 12 and 24 hour ones that are like their whole race is they just go and they set an obstacle and put, boost people over it's like insane.
1: So. yeah. And I found that that's actually one of the things that I enjoy the most now. And the last race that I did, the last Tough Mudder, um, that I basically went because Sean Corvell made me. So Sean is a recent guest on the podcast. We'll put a link to that episode. Um, but when I was recording with him, he's like, I'm going to see you in, uh, you know, LA on Saturday. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, there's a Tough Mudder. You better be there. I'm like, okay, fine. It's like, I'm handing you the microphone. And he ended up handing me the microphone. And I did his motivational speech totally nice. impromptu on the fly. But I wasn't in a state of mind at that race where it was, I'm going to be my best and I'm going to run and I'm going to do every single obstacle perfectly. It was more a matter of, well, I'm here. I'm not going to not do it. I was at a really bad place as far as totally burned out from where I was uh, finishing up a, a really big job. So I thought, what if I just make today about helping other people? And uh, the person I ran the race with, we just did that. We just hung out at an obstacle and helped people over the wall or under the fence or whatever it was. It's probably the best race I've ever had. Because what I love is seeing that look on somebody's face when they say they can't do something. And then all of a sudden they're like, Oh wait, I just did the thing that I said I couldn't do two minutes ago. So I would imagine you've seen many, many experiences for these first time racers where you just see that light switch go off in their, in their eyes. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. You know, the, you,
0: you, you, if you just go hang out in an obstacle, any obstacle all day, you'll see people, it doesn't have to be hard to you, but you'll see people come up and they'll be like, no way. Absolutely. No. And then you, you know, their friends or maybe some strangers talk them into it and help them over. And uh, yeah, it's such a such a good feeling of accomplishment. It's great to see that smile come across their face. And side note, I was also at LA. So it appears we've been like following each other around for like two yeah. years or yeah, more. It's, it's, it's
1: crazy how it. that works, isn't it? How uh, how small this world is, which actually is the perfect segue to what I wanted to, to mention next. We've been talking all about accolades, success stories, all the things that you've accomplished. Um, now you and I are going to talk a little bit about failure. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to talk about a little sport called American Ninja Warrior. So when what uh, I just found out yesterday, I was telling you this uh, offline beforehand, I didn't even realize this when we originally scheduled this interview. I didn't put face to the name. And I uh, uh, my uh, producer, she had sent me a link to your, uh, your short documentary. It's like a 22-minute short. We're going to link to it. Um, if it's public, I want to make sure everybody watches it. Um, and we'll talk more about the subject matter of it later. But the point being that five seconds in your face pops up. I'm like, wait a second, is it that guy? And what I meant by that was the last two seasons or the first two seasons that I've been on American Ninja Warrior, you and I ran the exact same day within hours of each other. And we have almost exactly the same story. So for this guy that has run thousands and thousands of miles and literally done thousands of obstacles, you do this professionally, I want you to tell your story from your perspective of season one of American Ninja Warrior.
0: Yeah. So I, I get picked for American Ninja Warrior. Do like a, yeah, I basically stop running because I'm like, all right, this is like a, this could be a big break, right? So like pour all my energy into training, right? So I'm at the gym every week or, every, you know, a couple times a week and uh, really kind of getting ready. And I, uh, you know, big spiel, you fly out there, you show up to the start line. And I, I'm not sure if I have the shortest run in in Ninja history, but I might, I might have it because I stepped on the first step and my foot just hit at a weird angle. And I bounced like face first off the second step and right into the water. Like I'm seriously, I was on the course for probably like 0.05 seconds. And, uh, you know, you, again, just so much effort and time and you like, you have all these people messaging you, right. And I do all this crazy stuff online and you know, it gets some reaction from people, um, but I've never gotten quite the reaction I, I got when I was like, hey, I'm going to be on Ninja Warrior. And I, I wasn't expecting people to go nuts. And people were messaging me from out of the woodwork, right? Like people from high school and college. It's like, do you know who I am still? Um, yeah. And it was just a complete disaster. And it was for about 48 hours. I was like, I was like just devastated. Right. I mean, you're again, so much effort and time and it just ended so quickly. And then I, um, you know, I started thinking about like, you know what, at least I had the experience, at least I got a chance to run, albeit very briefly. And, uh, you know, you can't, you can't achieve success if you don't, if you don't try. Right. So like, I'll try again next year. I'll put in an application. If I get picked, great. Um, and if the same thing happens, all well, (laughs) at least I got up again. Right. And, um, yeah, so it was, uh, it was heartbreaking at first, but you know, at the end of the day, it was like, well, the worst thing that happened to me in 2021 was falling after like less than a
1: second on Ninja Warrior, then I'm doing all right in life. All right, so now I really have to ask you, how in the world did you get over that in 48 hours? Cause I'm at 13 months and I'm still <laughs> not over mine. Yeah, you know, it's, um, I feel like I've failed a lot of stuff, I had a lot
0: of stuff in life and I also have a lot of things lined up. So if I if I focus on something in the past, I'm gonna miss essentially the next target, right? So, I mean, I was back to running races like within I think two weeks of that event. Right. So like, I was like, all right, well, now I got to focus on the next thing, you know, and I had, I was working on another book at the time. So I had to work on that. I was still producing podcasts, still writing articles. Right. So I just had all of these other, you know, irons in the fire that I had to focus on. So it really, it was almost like distraction. I basically distracted myself out of the problem and you know, it's still, it's still painful. Like, um, and it should be right. Cause it's important to me. Um, and if it's not painful, then it's, it's probably not important to you. Um, but you know, I, I bounced back and, uh, didn't talk about it for a while. And, uh, you know, I, I bring it up occasionally when people ask about it, or if they want to know like examples of failure, because, you know, I think you, you know, the, the appearance of success is often people that just didn't give up. Right. So you, in order to get anywhere, you need to, you need to be willing to fail a lot. And, you know, occasionally you need to look stupid. And I happen to my, my worst athletic performance happens to be on live TV and don't worry, you guys showed it and repeatedly, and then in slow motion again. So uh, in case you missed it the first time I fell. It was like um, yeah, and I,
1: I remember uh, I specifically watched that episode because it was would have been the episode I would have have uh, been in as well, but I was cut from the show um because um technically, I got farther. I got all the way to the platform, and then my toe missed a little edge, and I ended up getting wet. So I didn't make it through uh-huh. the end of the the first obstacle either. Uh, but I made it to the very, 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 very end of it. And I remember the because yours was like in the wrap up. It was like it wasn't one of the, the Baja Bia moments, I think, at the very end of that episode. Or it was like in a, a rewind package. It wasn't like they gave you the full feature and then they had you run from what I remember, unless they did. Am I remembering that incorrectly? It's to be honest with you, I've never watched the full episode. It was it's not a memory I wanted. To re- I watched it of course. once
0: just to be like, um, just I wanted to see what happened because my memory actually didn't quite match what the video showed. Um, Which is kind of interesting because I thought I knew exactly what happened. I watched the video, I was like, that's not what I thought happened. Uh, But I have not watched the full episode, now.
1: Yeah, so the the point being that when I saw that, I was like, oh boy, do I know what that guy feels like. Yeah. Like to, especially given that we have, I mean, we don't have a similar background in OCR because you're like an elite athlete and I'm a weekend warrior that's done like 20 races. Like nothing, you do 20 races a week. So there's no, but the the idea that I understand the translation between OCR and Ninja, I was like, man, that sucks. Because I know how hard and tough you need to be just to get through a Spartan beast. And to you, a Spartan beast is like a warm up for the day. I know what it takes to get through that. And I also know what you have to go through to get on the show, to travel to the dome, to sit around all day long, to go through all the hoops. And then you get your five seconds. And for that to happen, it's just, it's absolutely heartbreaking. And somebody that hasn't gone through it can't empathize with it enough. Mm -hmm. So what you also don't know is that when you ran the second year, and you got through the first obstacle i was like jumping up and down cheering cuz i'm like yes he finally got it so what happened after that cuz by the time uh people listen to this the the episode will have aired yeah so the the next obstacle was a
0: basically a sliding lache so you get on a bar and you slide and then you kind of let go and go for the next bar and you know based off watching other people uh you know i was like all right well i got to commit to it so i committed and uh my kind of went up a little more than out which means I fell a little bit short of the bar. Um, so again, not a not like something I'm super proud of. Um, but you know, I, I got back up after falling on the first year and tried again. And when I got to the second obstacle, I I committed to it. So I was proud that I I liked I, I full send, right? I, I went for it. Mm-hmm. I just missed. And uh, you know, in obstacle course racing, a lot of our movements are very static, right? So I grab, I, I'm still holding the last hold when I grab the next hold, as you know. And some of our listeners may or may not know. In ninja, everything's very dynamic. So everything's you almost you let go of the bar completely. You send yourself. There are all these big movements, so they're not. There's a lot of crossover, but it's not one to one. So yeah, I just missed the bar, and I I'm actually surprised they didn't show me because I went down. Like my whole back was red. I basically belly flopped onto my back. I got a picture. I'll post it online once uh, the episode airs. But my my whole back is red. So I just uh, sent it and missed. It was just a much better experience. You know that first year was with COVID, and as you know, you you were basically like in a bubble you ran back into your bubble. So it was it was not as much fun. This year, I got to stand on the sideline for people. I got to cheer for other ninjas. I got to uh, sit in the audience. And it was just a lot more social uh, with the COVID restrictions, like a lot looser. So it was overall, I, j- I just had a much better experience and I left in a much better place, even though my run was
1: marginally more successful. Mm-hmm. to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash Topo. That's T-O-P-O. Yeah. And one thing that I found when you talk about the translation between OCR and Ninja, which I then want to kind of extrapolate into the the real world, because obviously very few people, I would guess maybe there's one person listening that's legitimately thinking, I need a tip because I'm going to be an American Ninja Warrior on the starting line. And how do I translate OCR to this, right? Everybody else, this is metaphorical. For the one or two people, this is going to be real advice. But what I've learned from having done OCR and Ninja is that Ninja is designed to make you fail. They spend hours and hours and hours and days and weeks designing obstacles where they know almost to the percentage, here's how many people will succeed and how many people will fail. And it's like, if we just move the bar an extra inch, we can get a 10% higher failure rate because that's really good TV. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that with OCR, everything is designed such that if you're strong enough, You can succeed. It's not designed so you can fail. It's hard. Like if you're going to do the the gauntlet or you're going to do the multi-ring that has the rings and has the ropes and the bar, that stuff is hard. But if you have the strength and you build up to it, you can absolutely succeed. They're not trying to trick you. And for me, I got in the mindset that if I just do ropes and I do like ninja training and endurance grip and whatnot, well, that gets me ready for it. Not realizing, but all those things were designed to make me stronger and to succeed ninja mm. wants me to fail because that's the way the show is designed is you want to root for the very few people that can make it through but like what people don't realize is on tv you're only seeing give or take maybe 40 percent of the runs yeah. and yeah. the other 60 percent all failed way worse than the ones you saw on tv i was gonna say I mean, at the end of the day you know i mean we're on se-
0: we know the first 13 seasons have aired already and we've had essentially like two people make it to the end right so like that means, you know, 99.999% have failed. And even even if they made it really far and failed, those athletes, their expectations of themselves are higher. So they still take it hard. I guarantee it, right? Like, even if they make it to the, all the way to like stage three, right? And they fail on something, they're they're beating themselves up over it, you know? So,
1: Yeah. And that's something that I found as well is that uh, one of the people that I train with on a regular basis now is Jesse Graff and i was talking talking to her about how i felt after the the first run like she was the first phone call like after i fell like right after the run called her up like you know what happened you saw the video like i you know and again very similar situation as yours where my memory was different than the actual tape just because i think that with the lights and the adrenaline like it's so hard to just be present and in the moment that you're almost in like automaticity mode and i remember at least the first year i was like When did I get in the water? How did this even happen? If you paid me a million dollars, I could not tell you what just happened. Second year was a different experience. Um, But the point being that when she would describe how she fell on like stage two in Vegas or whatever, same guilt and same feelings of failure. And it's what I realized is that like, wait, you're Jesse Graff and you're feeling the same things that I'm feeling about myself and failure and all these things. And I fell on the first obstacle. So it's all about perspective. A lot of of it's expectations
0: versus outcomes, right? So if I go into a race expecting to finish in third place and I finish in first, I'm ecstatic, right? Versus if I go finishing, I messed that up a little. The the point is, if I end up higher than where I expected to finish, I'm a lot happier than if, even if I'm in a higher placement, but my expectations were different, right? So like, you know, if I'm expecting to come in second and I came in third, I'd be be disappointed. But if I uh, expected to come in second and I came in first, I'd be whatever. I'm messing it up. You get
1: the point. I I totally get
0: the (laughs) point, yes.
1: Um, And I think that expectations are such a good place to take this conversation. uh, Because one of the things that I always say in my coaching program, on the podcast, everything that I write, um, I deal with a lot of people that uh, are managing or overcoming or facing creative burnout. You're dealing with like physical burnout where you can be talking about like adrenal glands that don't work, thyroid function that's all messed up. But in my world, it's a lot more mental. Some of it's physical. There are physical manifestations. And I've reached a point of extreme adrenal fatigue from doing nothing more than working hard at a computer. The point being that I found that even though burnout can be caused by a million different things, it always comes down to the same root cause, which is setting improper expectations, which frames things in an improper way and all the things that we talked about with failing on the Ninja Warrior course, to me, those are all logical and analytical things that I tell myself, so I feel less bad about it because I had an expectation. I have yet to meet that expectation, and that expectation continues to drive me to do more training and do you know very ninja-specific skills and strength and speed and all the other things, and I need that motivation, but at the end of the day, when, and I had several family members that after the, I had fallen the second time, they're like, well, you're done now, right? I'm like, done? What? Are you kidding? No, I want this even more now. <laughs> and I need that motivation. But I think that what happens so often with people that set goals, whether small, big, or otherwise, it's all about the destination. When I think about the quality of my life, the quality of my health, the quality of my network and my relationships... I have a totally different life because I said, you know what, screw it. I'm going to try American Ninja Warrior, and I know that for you, relationships and building networks and just kind of ingratiating yourself in this community is a big part of what you do as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, i've done I've done a lot
0: of stuff for the sport of you know writing and the podcasting and stuff like that, and not expecting a lot in return. A lot of times I write for free, um, like no immediate tangible outcome, and I've just gotten I've gotten repaid exponentially um, to the point where it's like well, I was just trying to help someone out. Like I wasn't expecting a uh, all expenses paid trip to the other side of the world for, to run a race. Like, cause I mean, I'm, I'm a great ultra endurance guy, but like when it comes to like 5k, you know, I can, I can place in my local or kind of like regional area, but like the big races, you know, that's the national series type events. I'm not, I'm not podium level at that. That's too high, but you know, twice I've been flown to the other side of the world to race and put in a five-star hotel. And it was completely amazing. And I, all I did was try to help some friends out. And, uh, yeah, those, those, again, those relationships have been huge and I've, I've helped make connections between brands and and race brands and like apparel brands and stuff like that. And again, I'm not expecting anything in return. I'm just trying to be helpful and uh, a lot, a lot of good things have come my way.
1: Well, given that I come largely from the world of Hollywood, which is about as far away from altruism as you can possibly be, (laughs) I'm going to play the devil's advocate for a second. And I'm going to ask you, what is the point of doing any of that? Why put in all that effort if you know you're not going to get something in return? It's all about quid pro quo. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. Why are you wasting your time doing all of these things when you're potentially getting nothing in return?
0: Yeah, you know, um... Some again, some of it's selfish. i I feel personal self-satisfaction when I help people. So I do it uh, partially because of that. Um, some of these people, like most of these people I've developed relationships with over the years, and they're my friends, so I want to see them succeed. And, you know, I'm not, you know, me writing I can write an article very quickly. You know, thirty minutes, I can knock out an article, and it's, it's like ninety five percent complete. So it, it doesn't require a lot of my, personal time. And it builds repetitions where, you know, the more I I practice writing articles, the quicker I can write longer form stuff like books. And then, you know, hopefully my articles direct people to my books, then people buy my books and stuff like that. And then, you know, then people buy stuff from my sponsors and some of my affiliate codes. So sometimes I get paid back in that, in that aspect. But, you know, I, I saw, I bounced around from other sports. I've done I've done powerlifting of the natural bodybuilding of the marathon running. I've done triathlon and I found obstacle course racing and it was like a sport that was built for me. It felt like, I felt like I've been training for this for a decade and it was brand new. And I, I liked the atmosphere. Like we've talked about with Tough Mudder and I want to see it succeed, you know? And I think that's, to me, that's, it's, a, it's good to have, have a legacy, uh, beyond kind of yourself, right? So, you know, I have a military legacy, but then on, on this other side, I have this obstacle course racing legacy and then my family legacy and stuff like that. So I want to be part of something bigger. And that's kind of like a summation of
1: why it is. Yeah, but you have affiliate codes on your website. So you're clearly in it for the money. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I'm really, I'm really, like, I bet, but I bet cash. you've gotten that though. Haven't you? I've, I've gotten, I've gotten some money back. Um, no, no. I you, mean, I bet oh. you've gotten that response oh, that because I've yeah. gotten that response where it's like, Oh, you, you just want me to buy this desk chair this Mac cause you're going to get an affiliate commission. Like it helps to fund the website, but I'm not spending hours writing about all this stuff and podcasting about it. Cause Correct. I want that $7. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> yeah. Like the affiliate codes are such, I, I get such low return on investment. It's almost not worth the time you know, like the time, like it takes to copy and paste it and insert into the website. Like that's how little I'm typically making off most affiliate stuff.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you're thinking about the affiliate process, unless you have a million followers, you might as well work minimum wage. Cause if you're talking about what you're getting paid in return for your time, yeah, just go work minimum wage, you know, slinging burgers, you're going to make more money. But I find it kind of goes back to this idea of cynicism where people just don't want to believe. Do you just want to provide value to others and you expect nothing in return, especially in today's day and age where it's just all about influencers and look at me like it's so hard to convince people. I just enjoy helping others. And when you succeed, I feel like I succeed, which it's a little bit selfish. Like you said, is there any real true altruism? I know that that's an existential question that's been around (laughs) for ages, but if my intention is I want to feel good, but you still get helped who cares? You still get helped. (laughs) What's the difference, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree. Another question that I have, and this uh, is perhaps going to go a little bit deeper. Um, This is does not apply to everybody, but I feel that it applies to a lot more people than you might guess, which is that when you choose to dive into something that's really difficult and really hard, and to be perfectly frank, something like OCR or Ninja or CrossFit or anything like this, it's a little masochistic. Because it's it's not the most pleasurable experience, but you derive pleasure in that discomfort. And I find that often in what I read or the people that I interview, it's usually because of one of two reasons. Either you are racing towards something or two, you are running away from something. I'm curious if there's something underneath the surface that belongs in either or both of those categories for you.
0: Um, I would say slightly, you know, again, I, we talked a little bit about my youth and I wasn't really I don't say, I I don't feel like I was picked on. I mean, occasionally, but like kids are kids. Right. Um, the, so a little bit of that, you know, I always kind of growing up, I liked like Schwarzenegger and Stallone movies. So I kind of like gravitated towards that. Um, as I got older, I was like, well, you know, I can, I can be like a real life movie. Like these guys are playing these people on TV and in movies. Like I can be the real life version of that. Um, so that's, that's part of it. Um, and then the other part is, I don't know it. Like goal orient oriented stuff, you know, so i've i've got I've got some specific goals I want in obstacle course racing, and i'm I'm working my way towards there. Yeah, I don't know. that's a good question. i'll I'll think about that some more, but I
1: yeah, good question. so along the the lines of this kind of being a, a masochistic way to spend your time and your days knowing that you're potentially either running towards something, away from something or a little bit of both, take me to a moment. Whether it's 24 hours into a race or you're, you know, a thousand burpees deep into a challenge, whatever it might be, where you're thinking, why in the world am I doing this? And how am I going to do one more rep? And what is the voice that you hear that keeps you going through it? So in 2017, I decided I'm going to try
0: to run and do well at every 24-hour obstacle course race in the world. There was about six. Plans got distracted a little bit. I ended up doing five. Uh, I didn't know about one of them. And uh, so one of them conflicted with a a televised event, CBS televised event called Toughest Mudder 8-Hour. Except that that 24-hour was on a permanent facility, which means I could run that course on a different day and essentially like shadow run my results. So that's what I did. So random weekend, uh, we drove to Vermont and I do a 24-hour obstacle course race by myself. There's no one on the course. I am chasing a... uh, podium finishes which technically doesn't even like really count cuz it's a shadow run on this event and there is like no one cares if i do all these 24 hour OCRs in the world like no one, there's no like i don't have this like huge fan following and this is especially 2017 so like i really even had that, made that much of a name for myself as much as i have now and i am 12 hours <laughs> into this event it is dark and i'm wandering around the woods by myself and i'm like what in the heck am i doing I was like, no one cares about this, but me, like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. Like, why, like, why have I chosen this as my hobby? And, you know, I, I had recorded a podcast with a friend uh, the weekend before, and he was asking me about endurance racing. And I said, you know, at the end of the day, 24 hours is just not that long in the span of a human life, right? Like it's a blink. You ask someone what they did last week and you name the day of the week, they'll be like, I don't know. I went, went to work. I You can, they can't even tell you what they had for lunch or where they went to dinner. Right. It's just a blink. And I was like, you know what? We're just going to, we're just going to, we're just going to power through it. Right. Like it'll be over. Like you can't stop the clock. It will end. Uh, so I'm just going to keep putting one foot in front of the other and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens and we'll see where I come out. So that's what I did. And I, I hit that moment, I think once or twice during that event, it's probably the, one of the more darker uh, moments I've hit during racing. And, uh, I just kind of powered through it again. Ended up drawing back on my lessons from combat and from the military where it's just like, you know, stopping is just not an option. If, if you're going to step across the line, like you got to commit to finishing it, even if it's below, well below your stated mileage goal or below your stated mileage or your, your time, et cetera.
1: So, so let me ask you this then. If we're going back to that moment where you're 12 hours in, you're in the middle of the woods and you're saying to yourself, why in the world did I choose this? This is so dumb, right? Yeah. could be doing anything else right now. Yeah. And you had great perspective. But is there fear of the consequence of stopping? So if you had quit, I think that fear or the consequence that you've created in your mind is one of the things that keeps you going.
0: Mm-hmm. What's
1: the consequence of you quitting at the 12-hour mark? You know,
0: in reality, it's nothing. Um, I think, I think quitting is like a disease as in like it begets more quitting, right? So if I quit now, then what am I going to quit next time something gets hard, right? Like, you know, whether it be and it can be a race, it can be your job, it can be your marriage, it can be it can be whatever it can be your, your other hobby. Right. Like I take I do martial arts on the side. Also, now that's kind of like a hobby I picked up in the last. Of course years. you do. <laughs> uh, so, um, you know, it, it, it's just one of those things like, you know, what is this going to lead? It's just going to lead to more quitting. And then that one that doesn't make me feel good about myself. Again, a little bit of selfish reasons, too. It doesn't make it doesn't doesn't set a good example for my daughter when she. You know, when she doesn't make the gymnastics team, you know, she, she was like, are you gonna still do gymnastics? She's like, yeah. And I was like, good, you know, bounce back up and get back up. And I, you know, I would like to think that she's seen me fail enough times and seen me get back up where uh, she has internalized some of those life lessons.
1: Yeah. And I can relate to all of that. And that was probably I would say the hardest thing about following the first season on Ninja Warrior wasn't the fall. It wasn't, well, and I actually got lucky in the sense that it wasn't uh, aired in front of millions of people and was, didn't even make the show. Um, but the hardest thing wasn't the fall. It wasn't the failure. It wasn't all the time or everything else that was put in. It was that my daughter was crying. That was the part that was so hard for me to handle because to them, they had this image in their mind because she was only eight or nine at the time. Like, oh, my daddy's going to hit a buzzer. Right. <laughs> and that was really, really hard for her to handle because nobody in my family expected it. But she certainly didn't. Um, but then there have been several points of hardship. And it's funny you said uh, gymnastics, because that's something that my uh, my daughter is doing. And with that, she's gone through periods where she hasn't done well at a competition or had a bad practice. Uh, and she said and she even wrote me a letter once saying that, you know, you've taught me to keep going and not give up. It's like, well, I'm, I'm glad that me getting wet on the course was good for something. It's good Good for that that leading by example. Um, But I think that one of the really important points that you bring up is this idea that if I quit here today, I quit in other areas of my life. And I'm sure you've heard this saying before, but for anybody listening that hasn't, one of the most important saying that drives how I do things is the following. How you do anything is how you do everything. This is a lesson that I actually learned in yoga class of all places over 20 years ago, where our yoga instructor was explaining to us about how you have to be present in the moment. And right now your quads are burning because you're holding warrior two for three minutes. Are you angry? Like, do you want to get out of the pose? Like, what's your immediate reaction? Because whatever that immediate reaction is, is probably how you're going to react to traffic or how you're going to react to an argument with your partner. And that was just like this huge aha moment for me. So, like you said, nobody would have cared if you had quit. I think, frankly, people would have been like, well, thank God. Glad this is over. (laughs) But you know that, like you said, it just it becomes this infectious disease where once you've accepted that I can quit once, it just becomes easier to quit the next time. Right. Yeah, and you know, at the end of
0: the day, we all like I, I
1: I've quit plenty of things.
0: The difference is I try to make it to the end, the end of the season, the end of the race, etc. Before I'd be like, "Well, that was not fun. We aren't doing that again, right?" I think there's value um, because you know, at the end of the, otherwise, I'd, I'd still be doing everything I was doing since childhood, right? I'd still be playing like baseball on this on the weekends and soccer, and it'd still be involved in Boy Scouts, right? Like I, I quit stuff all the time. It's just a matter of how and when you quit um, versus if it's impulsive you know, all right, this is getting hard. I'm, I'm stopping right here. I think that is going to, is very negative versus like, all right, well, this sucks. I'm going to finish out this season and then not come back next season. Cause you know, maybe soccer is not an interest anymore. Maybe gymnastics is or whatever, or cheerleading, whatever, whatever you do. Um, and the, you know, you, you, I really like that quote you said earlier. That's I uh, I haven't heard that one before. Uh, but you know, the, to me, the model for success, I feel like I've, I've taken, one model for success, and I've just lifted and plopped it in different in different places. So with, with my success in obstacle course racing, again from all the other sports I've done, I watched it what other guys were doing to be successful. And usually, like the ses- most successful guys in like bodybuilding, for example, are not the ones who won the most Mister Olympias. It was the ones who like invested in themselves and had their own kind of brand and this own thing going. Um, and then I looked at ultra running, and like the, the most well known ultra runner at the time when I was kind of following was Dean Karnazes. And he, he was not the best ultra runner, but he was doing these charity events and stuff like that. And like, he, you know, he made ultra running big, um, to the common person. And I was like, well, that's a good model. And I literally like, I took Dean Karnas' model, like lifted it up, moved it and just dropped it into obstacle course. And I was like, well, this is my model for success because I watched this guy do it and it worked. You know, that I think that 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 is taken. I've t- used that model for other areas of my life, like we were, I was just talking about martial arts, right? Like you know, reading books, listening to podcasts, watching documentaries, getting an instructor, and then just practicing to the point where it almost becomes uh, ridiculous. To the point where people are like, "I think you're wasting your time. You've been practicing a lot, and you don't seem to be getting much better." And it's like, "All right, that's the time to like double down and practice some more." Um, you know, because I'm I'm a firm believer in like the 10,000 hour rule from Malcolm Gladwell, if you're familiar, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, 10,000, it basically takes an average of 10,000 hours of deliberate practice to achieve mastery. So, you know, I think the more, the more reps you're getting in, uh, the farther you'll go. And, you know, the, my jujitsu instructor says the same thing, you know, so it's just, i just watched it play out at so many areas of my personal life, my professional life, and then all, and all these different sports I've been involved in.
1: Yeah, and this is something I actually talked about in a podcast a long time ago that I hadn't thought about in forever. I'm gonna make sure we link to it. Uh, it's with an author named Scott Young, and it's about a concept called ultra learning where when people think, well, what's the real practical use of being on American Ninja Warrior? So you're learning how to grab nunchucks and do laches and swings and all these other things. And yeah, that's true. Like I can do a bunch of cool stuff with parkour and, you know, do, you know, I think I did like 50 pushups in 38 seconds last weekend during our workout because we just want to see how fast we could do it. Right. I never thought I'd be able to do 50 pushups consecutively ever to do it in 38 seconds. was like, Holy crap. Didn't know I was capable of it. The point being that what I'm learning is the meta skill of learning and achieving a difficult goal. So when I decide, you know what? Ninja warrior was fun. I'm moving on. It's not, I'm quitting for the wrong reasons because I'm scared or I feel like I'm a failure. It's like, this has run its course. Now I've done this thing. Now I'm going to try another one. I can apply all the same lessons as opposed to "well, now I got to start over" because it's developing a meta skill as opposed to just developing skills. Yeah, uh, strongly agree. I agree so much. And you,
0: you know, you mentioned you know quitting Ninja Warrior. Like, I was, I was terrified. I did not want to get picked. To be honest, I applied the second season. I was like, I hope they don't pick me, so I don't have to like. I was me too. I, I was worried I was going to fall again on the first obstacle. I was like, oh man, like. Yeah. If I, I fall on the first obstacle again, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. And then I just basically lied to myself. I was like, no, you're definitely not going to fall on the first obstacle. It doesn't matter. Like you'll be fine. Everything's going to go great. Blah, blah, blah. Like I, I basically lied myself into forcing myself into action. So, um, well I'll apply again next year. And I, I do hope I get picked. Unlike last, my, my first to second year, I was like, I hope I don't get picked, <laughs> but but they <laughs> picked me anyway. Um, and the experience was
1: a hundred times better. And, uh, you're going to you know, go
0: back a third time. Yeah, I'll I'll try again for
1: for round three. So nice. Well, maybe we'll get stuck in the same group uh, the third time, and we'll actually know each other. This yeah, time, that'll so. be nice. That'll be nice. Yeah. That's optimizeyourself.me slash Q O R three six zero. Uh, So I definitely, before we go, don't want to lose what I think is an amazing resource for anybody that wants to learn OCR, try their first Spartan race or Tough Mudder. Um, And going back to this idea of developing a meta skill and then getting into the specifics. I think that the reason why these races are so important for people that are thinking, well, this is dumb. Why do I want to get dirty and be in the mountains and even get electrocuted? To me, it's developing the meta skill of embracing discomfort. Because boy, does your life get so much easier. If you can be calm when you're going through ice water under barbed wire that's electrified where somebody's spraying you in the face of a fire hose, getting into an argument at work, eh, it's not so bad anymore. You really learn how to deal with that discomfort. So for anybody that's thinking, maybe I should try this, not just because it sounds like it would be fun, which it would be, but I want to kind of see what is my discomfort level. If somebody's listening right now and they're thinking, I kind of want to do this, but it's terrifying and I have no idea where to start. How do we help the newcomers start to build something very simple and attainable so they can survive their first race? Honestly, the the first
0: thing I would do is find a race that's kind of nearby just to kind of limit some of the travel expenses. And then just sign up, give yourself a couple months, ideally to train. That way you have a a goal to shoot for. I mean, you can sign up and, and just go for it next weekend. That's an absolute possibility. But, you know, you'll probably have a little bit of better time if you like do a little bit of training. And uh, like I said, there's people who walk the whole course, so don't don't be scared to get out there. I think one of the reasons Tough Mudder is so good is because they they really press on a lot of people's fears, right? Like there's obstacles that are tall, there's obstacles that are enclosed spaces, there's obstacles that are like partially underwater, um, there's ice water, there's electricity. You know, and you mentioned you mentioned like it it sounds stupid. I literally said the same thing. My best friend, the best man at my wedding. Was like, hey, you should do this thing called obstacle course racing, and I was like, no, sounds stupid. Like I'm a marathon runner and triathlon. I don't do I don't do mud runs, right? And uh, he was so right, and I should have listened to him two years earlier. Um, I eventually found my way there, but you know, you, you want to get out there, sign up for something, and really just start, start being active. You know, if you really want to go for like faster performance or higher level or want to like really dive into the deep skills. Obviously I've, I've written several books on the topic. Uh, the new strengths and speeds guide to elite obstacle course racing is on Amazon or my website, uh, teamstrengthspeed.com. And then like my buy, bi- my biography is on there also. And so is some like books specialized in ultra distance obstacle course racing. And then I have one that's like, it's like a 75 workouts. Essentially you can plug and play into your existing schedule. Uh, so th- there's resources out there. Um, you know, you can talk to people who are in the community. The, the, Absolute course racing community is one of the nicest communities out of any sport I've ever done. They're so welcoming. And again, there's people literally of every skill level uh, from walk the course to I'm sprinting and trying to win a world championship uh, out on the course.
1: So. Yeah, I find one of the objections for people that don't understand the community is like, well, I don't want to be around a bunch of meatheads that are going to make fun of me when I fall on an obstacle. It's like, it is so the polar opposite of that. Like, 100%, like yeah. some of my favorite experiences and some of the best relationships I have are people that I've either trained with to do a race or that I've met at a race. And everybody is so incredibly encouraging, which also to me discourages this mindset, especially in the world of Hollywood. If I'm in it for myself, it's a zero sum game. If I'm going to be successful, it has to be at the expense of somebody else's failure. It eliminates that feeling of competition versus the rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah. But what I'm also curious to ask you is that when it comes to the information, here's how to train, here's what you should do for forearm strength or cardio, et cetera, et cetera. You have tons of resources. That's just about access to information. People can go to your website. We're going to provide a link. They can get the answers that they need. The most common objection, however, that I hear, and I want to know if you hear this, is, okay, that sounds great. Um I'm gonna to have to get in shape. so then when I'm ready, I can sign up for the race. Yeah, no, they, again, not not
0: necessary. You know you you part of the process is doing the racing, and that that'll help you get in shape. Um so like I, like like I said, i don't I don't recommend like never running and then just going out and doing it, but again, there are people who, who can, who walk the whole thing. My dad is 74. He has, he does my pit crew for like every 12 hour and 24 hours. So he stays up with me and feeds me food and stuff like that. And he went out 74 years old, did a Tough motor 5k. And then he's done a couple of local brands, a brand called Casey Timber Challenge. So, um, you know, no, we're not moving fast, but we're walking and we're doing the obstacles to the best of his ability. Um, I think the, I think the Tough Motor 5K he did all the obstacles including like the, the, uh, ice bath one. So, and, and Everest, right. Um, she does warp the wall essentially pulling uh-huh. people up.
1: So yeah, yeah, you I call that the ankle twister. It's nothing like the warped wall, it's slippery and muddy, and there's like these metal platforms. And I'm like, Neh. I don't know how many times I want to try this because I've seen multiple people twist an ankle and it's you know, it's it's a, you know, a little shaky, a little shady, but um definitely one that everybody has to do at least once for sure. Absolutely. Um, so let me let me ask you this. Now I'm just gonna be super and totally self-indulgent. Because I would guess that almost nobody is interested in this topic. But I have you on my podcast, and I'm going to ask you specifically. Okay. I've gotten to a point with OCR where OCR is not a major part of my life the way that it is for you. For you, it's essentially a profession. Yeah. You're doing it consistently all day, every day. It's always in your mind. OCR for me is something that I like to stay in shape for on a regular basis. I probably do three, four, five runs a year. I'm not terribly interested in the ultra endurance world, not because of fear, but more the volume of hours that it takes to get good at it. I just don't want to spend that amount of time away from my family. I know that, like you said, you are a marathoner and a triathlete. In order to do well, you just got to put in the hours and it's a lot of hours for endurance. So that's my main hesitation. However, a friend of mine and I that are both ninjas, we kind of reached a point last year where we're like, I don't feel the fire that I used to for like the Spartan Beast or the Tough Mudder, like they're fun and they're fun when you bring new people, but it's like a challenge, not so much a challenge. But what I was thinking of taking on as kind of an interim is this year, I don't remember exactly where it is, but you can get your entire trifecta in a weekend. Mm -hmm. You can do your Beast, your Sprint and your Super all within what essentially amounts to 36 hours. So if I'm going from the world of the most I've ever done is a Spartan Beast, 14-ish miles, to all of a sudden having to do that, and then a sprint and a super back to back the next day, what don't I know that I don't know having done it the way that I have so far? What are the things that need to change in order for me to be ready for something at that level? You need to make sure you eat primarily, right? Because people are people will be like,
0: oh, I I never need to eat because I'm I'm just running 10 miles or whatever. I'm uh, you know, so you need to fuel because. Your, your body is going to be needing that for all those races the entire weekend. Um, and then you need to kind of look at it as one big race, not three individual races. So don't red line on that first race. Like you should, first race should feel easy. You should be running at like a comfortable pace. Um, then as soon as you finish, you know, immediately you want to take some, some food in to kind of start replenishing glycogen and um, help rebuild the muscle. And then, you know, go back out and obviously do it again and consistent consistently fuel during the next event. And then, you know, make sure you get, make sure you get good rest leading up to it. Uh, sleep is so undervalued and, you know, it, it can play a huge impact on your performance on, on event day. And then, you know, as far as like your training goes leading up to it, you want to kind of simulate some of the stuff in training, right? So like if you, you'd want to like do two hard workouts on back-to-back days. So you can kind of get used to that used to that, that feeling of running on heavy legs. So your body's not like, what are we doing? I've never done this before and I'm scared. <laughs> I'm going to start shutting down. So, you know, a couple of little tweaks yeah, you can make here and there. And then um, at the end of the day, you know, it all, you know, with any of these kind of like endurance challenges and uh, endurance is a relative term, whether you're running 5K, 10K or 24 hours, uh, it, it comes down to mindset. It, the the value of mindset is so, it, it's not talked about enough. Um, it's, just, it's just so important. I, the I, 12 hour race I did two weekends ago, I was in sixth place with like three hours left. I've been running for like nine hours and, uh, I could have easily been like, all right, well, this is just not my day. I'm going to give it, I'm going to, I guess we'll finish in sixth ish today. And I did the opposite. I was like, I'm in a red line until my body blows up. And I ran probably harder than I have at any toughest mudder up to that point. And I moved up into third and the guy who was chasing me in fourth, another great athlete who looked better than me, uh, honestly, the lap before saw me, uh, his pit crew saw me go out and they were like, he looked strong. you know, basically like, don't, don't chase him. He's not, you're not going to catch him. So, um, mindset was the, was the deciding factor because physically, um, physically we're probably not that much different. Um, I think I'm actually slower than a lot of people. I think my mindset's just a little bit tougher from, uh, the combat deployments and stuff like that. And, you know, we were talking about if if something's hard on the course, when you deal with something in real life, it's not as challenging. You know, similarly, my wife says nothing ever excites me because like I've, Again, not to be overly dramatic, but like I've been in combat, like people have legitimately tried to kill me and my friends. So then when you come back and it's like, oh, we're this thing's slightly late. And you're like, eh, not a big deal. They used to drive one of my bosses crazy because I would never like I would never get excited about anything. And he'd be like, he's like, you need to be you need to care more about this. It's like, well, I do care. It's just not a big deal because at the end of the day, we're all, we're all going to be fine. We can take a deep breath and we can get the, we'll, we'll get we'll get the task done. It may not be perfect, but it'll it'll be done.
1: Well, let me ask you this about mindset, going back to this idea of quitting. When it comes to, and this is something that uh, I've learned uh, from reading and following David Goggins, who I'm sure you're very familiar with, because I'm assuming you're in very similar circles, and I don't know, maybe we were even on a deployment together, I know how small that world is. Um, and for anybody that doesn't know David Goggins, like, probably not even human. Like, he's the 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 military, uh, like, equivalent of Drago in Rocky IV, where you're like, he's got to be a machine, he's not a man, right? Um, so anybody that, uh, you know, really wants to be inspired, you read his book. But Is there a point where mindset becomes dangerous, where it's saying to you, I shouldn't quit. And that's actually putting you in a space of danger and you should quit for the right reasons. A hundred percent. It's a double-edged sword. It, I mean, the same, the same
0: reason that pushes people to be elite at athletes is the same reason they overtrain and get injured. You know, um, you can look at it with, especially with like weight cutting, right? So, Uh, a lot of runners will drop weight and they continue to get faster. They continue to get faster. Right. And it it goes in. And then when you hit a certain point, it becomes a cliff. And now your body, like you're breaking bones. You shouldn't be breaking You're malnourished. You're not recovering from runs. It becomes a, you know, the same thing that made you faster is now the same thing that's making you slower and permanently injured and unable to recover. So yeah, it, it's, it's a very fine balance. Um, I tend to like, I, Basically before, at some point before every race, I'm like, oh, I got like this weird ache in my foot or my ankle or my hip. And I basically say, nah, it's nothing. I'm going to be fine. And I'm usually right. Um, and it hasn't quite bit me in the butt yet, but I'm sure, uh, I'm sure there'll be a day when it, it'll, it'll come back and get me. I uh, was doing example from, I'm doing training, heavy weighted dips. I tear my pec, part of my pec on my right side. And I feel the muscle ripping from itself. And I'm in the gym, so I drop down, and I'm like, "I just did something really stupid. Uh, I'm in trouble." And I was like, "No, no, I'm fine. Let me try a push-up. You can't do push-ups if you're missing part of your pec." So <laughs> I fall on my face. I'm like, "Okay." I'm like, "Should I continue to work out?" And I'm like, "No, no, no. But let's be real. Let's be real. Let's be safe for once. We're gonna go home." So I went home, didn't finish my rest of my gym workout, and then I was like, "I'm pretty sure I tore part of my pec." Um, and then like an obsessive athlete, I was like, well, my legs still work. I'll just get on the exercise bike. So I rode the exercise bike for 35 minutes. Like, you know, again, not the the brain, you know, it's that double-edged sword. So, um, you gotta be careful, but if you really want to see how far your body can take you, you need to err more on the side of caution than safety, to be honest with you.
1: And I know that if I asked David Goggins, I'd get a very different answer. He's like, I have no toenails. I've broken my left arm. My left lung is collapsed, but I've got fifty more miles to go, and I shall figure it out, right? yeah, it's it's funny. His line is, you know, a lot further than I think, just about any mortal human being. but i've I'm really glad you brought this up because this is where I wanted to go next, is this idea of you had an injury. And you're like, no, I don't have an injury. I'm going to try something else, which is the pushups after tearing your pack. And you're like, Does, my mindset means nothing here. I literally don't physically have the biology or the biomechanics to do a pushup. Correct. This is where 99.9% of people would stop. And you said, nope, I'm just not going to do upper body, but I'm going to do more exercise and I'm going to finish my workout. Yep. And this is obviously not a logical choice. This is an emotional choice, which goes back to are you running towards something or running away from something? So that one moment where you're like, I'd be okay calling in a day. I should probably get in an ice bath or, you know, put on some, you know, icy hot or whatever, but I'm going to finish the workout. What's the emotional reason you finish the workout when logically, you know, you shouldn't be. Um,
0: yeah, I think the other parts of my body still worked. So my upper body didn't work, but my, my legs still worked. And, uh, obstacle course racing is a complete body sport. So I was like, well. If I can't train upper body, I'll train lower body. And, uh, you know, that'll still push me closer towards my, my goals that I'm, I'm shooting after for this year. So. Now,
1: I want to go even a little bit deeper here. This okay. is an exercise that I do with uh, some of my students. We talk a lot about the voices that we have in our head, which is very much about mindset. And the voices that are in our head are not fixed. These are voices that we can change. We can choose to listen to, to not listen to. We can replace them with other people's voices, which I think is a reason why mentorship is so important. But in that instance, what was the voice telling you that convinced you to finish the workout? What was the actual sentence or phrase that it was telling you? It's just it's like your legs still work. Just keep going, essentially. So. And what I'm curious about from there is that your voice that's telling you that. Yes, I would say that's my voice. Yeah. Do you think that that voice would have come from anywhere else or did you develop that voice on your own? I think it's just kind of an amalgamation
0: of uh, people I respect that surround me. Um, you know, whether, you know, it's, my, you know, combination of my father, my um, my coworkers in the military, other athletes that I train with that I look up to, you know, I think it's just I think I've internalized a lot of their uh, mindset and, you know, maybe I've, I've cherry picked the parts that I like and kind of made this extreme version of it um but i think that's essentially what it is it's um it, it's that you know in the in the military people you know if, if you're having trouble people are just like if, if you're in selection and you're having trouble people are like don't be a pussy just stop it and there's no like there's no explanation there's no motivation it's just like stop being a pussy and fix yourself and move forward and um yeah, you, you know, you, you surround yourself with those people, you, you know, if you surround yourself with the people you want to be like, you'll start behaving like them for good or for bad. And, um, you know, I picked up some great stuff from working with special forces guys. I also, that lifestyle is kind of like extreme and all on kind of all fronts. And, uh, thankfully to my athletic background, I basically, they like to go drinking and, um, stuff like that. I, I basically stopped drinking because I decided that um not because I, I dislike drinking alcohol. I was just like, well, it does not align with my overall goals at, at best. It's a zero sum. So it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, add anything. It probably takes away. So I was like, I will just stop drinking. And 2014, when I started getting like, into obstacle corporation, I was like, we're done. Boop. Just stopped cold Turkey. We're done. And, um, you know, I missed it a couple of times. And then, uh, since then, no, missed it at all. I haven't looked back. So
1: no, I think that it just, it shows the importance of, who you surround yourself with and being very selective about that inner circle. Uh, Because I really think there's a lot of truth to you are the five people that you surround yourself with the most. And like you said, you just kind of become that circle and whatever level of success they have, you will eventually attain that level of success if you're picking the right ones. And something that I always tell my students and that I write about is I say that if you are the best in the room at whatever it is that you do, whether it's OCR or you're a writer or an editor, whatever it is, you are in the wrong room because I want to surround myself with people that are way better than I am. So it pushes me to get to where they are. So for me, it's all about how do I find a mentor? How do I connect with them? How do I learn from them? And then I can get to where they are, as opposed to just kind of feeling like I'm a crab in a bucket and all the people I'm surrounded by are pulling me back in. Yeah. Very good advice. Very good advice. Uh, So on that note, Last question that I have for you has to do, um, again, with this idea of, and I would say in this case, it's probably more running towards something than away from something. Uh, But you've obviously been through some very, very real and raw life experiences um, that the vast majority of people that live life have not, myself included. Um, Do you feel that a part of what you do has to do with either honoring people that are fallen soldiers or the charities or... Even a little bit deeper. This is something that I've read about in the past, and if you don't want to go here, you don't have to. But I know that some people get involved with things like this because there's a level of survivor's guilt, and I'm curious what is the thing you run towards, because, like you said, if it's just for you know charity or whatever, that's one thing. But it's it's deeper when you get to this level of discomfort and pain. Yeah, you know,
0: uh, I've so my college roommate was killed in Iraq in April 2007. I've had a soldier in my company died in Iraq in uh, March 2006 uh you know i've friends that have lost their brothers in combat i've uh one of my warrant officers he lost his wife in syria in 2019 uh in combat so you know a big part of it is they didn't get to finish their lives so i feel like i need to live my life for them right like they didn't get a chance to come home and hug their kids they didn't get a chance to kiss their wife one more time or their spouse and they didn't get a chance to do stupid things like run around an obstacle course race for 24 hours nor do most of them even want to um, but I feel I feel like in order to make up for their loss, I need to do more. Essentially, it's not so much survivor's guilt. It's more of like, I have the opportunity when they didn't. So I shouldn't waste that. Um, so that's that's one of the, the big reasons of kind of like why well, I'm always like got my hands in all these different things. And I'm uh, kind of pushing towards that. So um, I think that answered the question. Yeah, that no, that very much
1: answers the question. And it's amazing how much you and I have in common, because I'm essentially doing the podcast and the coaching program and all of the work that I'm doing now that's not connected to my former life as a Hollywood film and television editor for the exact same reason. I obviously didn't go through any kind of tours of combat or anything, um, but the short version of the story is that uh, I had a friend of mine that I met in college who was a quadriplegic And uh, I didn't know much about his past. He was in his late 20s. He and I became very, very good friends. We made some films together. We had the same taste in movies. Like we were just buddies. And then at his, unfortunately, his funeral when he passed at 30, because he had muscular dystrophy, so he had a very shortened lifespan, I started to hear all of these things that he had accomplished despite his disabilities, one of which was that he became the first quadriplegic to become a licensed scuba diver. And I remember looking around thinking somebody has got to tell this story because this is the things that he has done are amazing. And then I realized, crap, it's gotta be me. Doesn't it? I'm going to have to be the one and then it was in, it was essentially 8 years of my life putting together this documentary telling his story but what i really learned about achieving difficult goals is that it's all about focusing on the things that you can do versus the things that you can't do but there was a lot of guilt associated with that because as i was learning about him and what he did i'm like man i'm kind of wasting my life like yeah i was successful and i was you know making money in hollywood working on projects but i'm like this is not really me Using my potential or providing a lot of value to the world. It's just more kind of a superficial goal if I want to earn some credits and make some money. So now for me, it's very similar where he doesn't, he never had the opportunity to get married. He didn't have the opportunity to have kids. He never had the opportunity to take the stairs instead of the elevator. So I kind of see it as my duty to make sure that if I have those opportunities, I use them, not because I feel guilt, unless I choose to go the easy route. That's when I start to feel the guilt. Like, you know, I could have made the harder choice, but eh, I chose the easier one. And he was forced to deal with the hard choices and he did it with a a smile on his face. So it sounds like you and I are cut very much from the same cloth in that respect. Yeah, absolutely. Now I totally connected all all the things you were just saying. Yeah. So, (laughs) final words of wisdom. And this is not necessarily just for people that are interested in OCR or alter endurance or anything else, uh, but words of wisdom for anybody that's terrified of taking on a new goal, what advice would you give them?
0: Um, the, the price of being a, you know, a graceful master is being an awkward beginner, right? Like you got to try if if you, if you're scared of failing, you're never going to accomplish anything. You're going to, you're just going to sit in your, in your safety bubble there. Um, never kind of exploring outside of it. So, you know, try new things, uh, get out there, experience life. And, uh, you know, if you fail, you're back, you're back in the same place you were when you started, you know, like, when, like when my daughter tries out for the gymnastics team, which happened like like a a couple weeks ago, which I brought it up again, right? Like she wasn't on the team beforehand. She tried out. She didn't make it. She's still not on the team. Like literally from a, I know emotionally it's not the same, but from an outsider's perspective, it's zero, like nothing has changed. So like, why would you not take an opportunity? Why would you not take a risk? Right. So like when I applied for sponsors or tried to get my books published, like I sent so many emails and so many people didn't respond and then so many people responded and said no, and you know at the end of the day it was it made no difference because I at the end of the day I still had this this done book, um, so you know why would I not at least try? You know it's it, because it comes down to ego. People don't like being told no because it hurts a little bit, um, but you know it's, a lot of those things are numbers game. You just keep you keep asking enough people, and eventually you'll find the right person that's um, kind of connects with you and is interested in pursuing the same goals uh, that you are. So. Um, yeah, get out there. It's, uh, that's, it's kind of it.
1: I love it. Uh, could not have summed it up better myself. We will make sure to leave links in the show notes to all of your platforms, website and otherwise, but for anybody that's listening that maybe is in the car, they can't click on a link at the moment. Where's the best place to find you?
0: So I'm on, uh, so all my stuff is now. Well, kind of synced up so my instagram is ultra oCR man my facebook is facebook.com ultra ocr man my website is ultra man.com, which will redirect you to the other part of my website but yeah um, my email is ultraocrman at gmail.com so you, you can find me on social media that's the easiest way to probably connect with me because uh, I'll, I'll answer that probably quickest and uh i'm the only evan preparers on there so i should be pretty easy to find if you can't remember ultra OCR, man. Uh, but that's, that's a little bit easier. We go my, my books are like on Amazon too. And then in addition to my website. So if you want it signed for me, you have to buy it from my website. If you want the digital one or the audible for one of them is on audible. Uh, you can go to the Amazon through that.
1: Awesome. Well, I'm going to make sure we direct people to all those things and uh, ultra OCR, man, I'm feeling like maybe I need to knock out 500 burpees after lunch. <laughs> super pumped and inspired. Uh, So I appreciate so much you taking the time to share your wisdom and knowledge and experience today. I appreciate you, Zach. Thanks,
0: Dave. It was a great conversation. I really, you really had some really good questions, like a lot deeper than I was kind of expecting
1: to go, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, I get that a lot. (laughs) Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show.